0: Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast, where we promote, educate, inspire, and entertain creators of all things related to fantasy and science fiction. Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I have with me Chris Fox. Chris is the author of The Magic Tech Chronicles, The Deathless Series. He has a series of how-to books for authors, including the 5,000 Words Per Hour, and he has just released an epic fantasy um, called The Shattered Gods. Chris, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your author's journey?
1: Uh, Sure. So uh, it goes all the way back to me being a kid, as I'm sure is true of most of your audience. Um, I started writing when I was six originally. So I knew by that point I wanted to be a storyteller. I told my parents why I want to be an author. But when I got to be 18, this is long before self-publishing existed. It wasn't really viable as a format. And so if you wanted to get published, you had to go through New York publishing houses and that just wasn't really viable back in the mid nineties. So when I turned 18, I stopped writing. I kind of walked away from it and I didn't get back to it until the early 2000s. Um, Mass multiplayer games like World of Warcraft came out and lots of people would get together. We'd form guilds and they had role play servers. So we would do a bunch of fiction online. You're basically writing fan fiction in this setting and Mm -hmm. one thing led to another. I started writing um, short stories in these settings and one of them came to the attention of a publishing company called Palladium. Uh, They had a game called Rips and -hmm. they liked it enough that they published it, which surprised me. I didn't know it was gonna happen. A box showed up one day and my short story was in there. I was like, how did you even get my short story? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, but there, there just wasn't enough money in it. And so it wasn't until uh, 2014 that I really jumped in with both feet. Once technology made it possible to actually do this for a living, there was never anything else in my life I wanted to do. I stopped being a software engineer, became a full-time author, and have been doing this ever since.
0: Chris also has a very successful YouTube channel. Uh, he talks a lot about this. And you are basically self-taught um, computer programmer, right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. I, I'm entirely self-taught. I just picked up a book one day, Uh, this was right around the time the iPhone came out uh, and I realized it was gonna be a smash hit. And I said, people who can program for this are gonna make a ton of money and I don't make any money doing what I do. So I wanna make money. (laughs) Picked up a book, uh, bought myself an iPhone and uh, managed to get out of a dead end job. And that gave me the capital to bankroll being an author because being being an indie author does cost money. I mean, you, you have to be able to afford covers and editing and whatnot. And I was only able to do that because I first became a software engineer.
0: Right. And watching your videos, it kind of sounds like being an indie author, kind of the same thing. You decided to do it and you kind of self-taught and you jumped in with both feet, like you said. Uh, yeah, I,
1: I learned at an early age, and and I got I don't even know how early, to be self-sufficient, to try to solve problems yourself. Uh, and I got into IT, like I'm sure a lot of your audience did, uh, before I became a software engineer. So I did that for a lot of years. And it really teaches you to troubleshoot your way through most problems. Uh, we are so fortunate to live during a time where any skill you want to learn is available for free, most of it on YouTube, where you can just go out there, watch some videos, and, and learn a
0: skill, and then just start practicing it. Yeah, so... That's just amazing that we live in a time where we can, the university of YouTube is, is real and you can learn what you need to do um, or want to do. Let's go back to, let's talk about some of your stories. How do you come up with an idea? Cause I'm sure you have a lot of them. What do you feel is a good idea? Like, all right, this is the idea that I'm going to grab hold on leech and, and tell this story.
1: Ultimately it comes down to character. We as humans, I think uh, all crave story. We want to see development of other humans, Um, and and feel like we're developing at the same time. So I try to pick the most interesting story, and and, and that's usually going to be the most interesting set of characters. So there are two things that we do as authors, especially if you write uh, science fiction and fantasy. One of them is world building. We do lots of world building, which is independent of storytelling. And then storytelling is picking the best part of that world and the best characters in it to tell a tale that are really going to interest people. So I sort of look to see who's going to be the most compelling character and go with it.
0: So are there parameters or um, characteristics that you look for in the character to determine whether that character is interesting or not?
1: Um, I, I think it's it, it can vary a lot because there are so many characters that, um, that can fit that role. I mean, you can do a villain, you can do a hero. You know, um, it's hard to say a, a fast set of rules, but they have to be active, really. And they can start a story not being active, they can be passive initially, but before the end of that story, around the midpoint and afterwards, they need to become very active, proactive, and start taking control of their destiny. Um, The rest of it is sort of up in the air, uh, I do recommend having them do something like save the cat in whatever format fits for that story. If it's in the military, they could be saving a, a squad that's pinned down under fire. Um, you can do whatever version of that is appropriate for your story, but um, that's going to warm the audience up to them. So very quickly, you want to find a way to make them likable so that they are sympathetic to the audience. Um, beyond that, everything else is is uh, up. In the air, and you can do pretty much whatever you want. There are no
0: rules. When you think you have a good character and you're going, um, have you ever had a point where you're like, no, nah, this isn't going somewhere, so I need to step back a little bit and pick somebody else? Or how do you, how do you sift through the good and the bad?
1: Yeah, I've done a lot of discovery writing, especially early in my career. Um, And for me, it it comes down to feedback. Like I'd have readers read some of the stuff and they would say it just wasn't good. So I'd pick a character and it just wasn't gelling, wasn't capturing what I wanted it to capture. And I remember one of my very first writing coaches told me, Pick the character with the most to lose in that scene, who has the highest stakes, who has the most in the line, who has the most stress in that scene, and then try to write it from their perspective. And that
0: that helped me a lot, I think. So what are some of your writing habits? I know you cover this a lot in your YouTube channel, but there might be somebody who hasn't seen that. Yeah, I, I can distill
1: it down pretty quickly. Um, we are computers. We are very much computers. Our brains work just like any other computer would. And so we're creatures of habit. So what you want to do is install a habit that works the same way in the same place every single day. So I get up at the same time. I go through the same series of steps. I sit down at my computer. Uh, all the applications that are not writing related are already closed down. All the decks are cleared. My email's not even open yet. I just sit down and I start writing. And if you get into the habit of doing it in the same place every time, um, your brain will start kind of hyper optimizing the the writing habit for you, you wouldn't necessarily have to think, oh, I should do it this way, um, you'll start spotting things that will make it better and I've been doing that for so long now, uh, that it's very much second nature so my writing goal these days is a million words a year. Uh, and, and that's sustainable, if you have a good solid writing habit where you are consistently getting up every single day to hit whatever your writing goal is. And the other half of that is tracking. You've got to make sure you track it. Whatever your goals are, they don't matter. Make sure you're writing them down. So if you if you don't, if you just say, okay, I'm writing a book, it could take 20 years for you to finish that. But if you say, I'm going to put down 500 words a day, no matter how many words that book is, eventually you're going to hit the end of it.
0: Right. Those 500 words add up fast. I think I figured out like 250 words is like 74,000 words in a year. And mm-hmm. to some people, 250 words will take 15 minutes and some... It'll take an hour, but it does add up. And over time, you can put out a series of books pretty consistently. If you're the type of person who it does take an hour to write 15
1: um, or to write those uh, initial words, it's going to get faster over time. So if you start out being really, really slow, the more you practice it, you'll get faster and faster and faster. You just get more and more words in the same period of time
0: just by practicing. So what are some of your specific habits that you do? You say you get up at the same time every day. Is that you a, a morning person or do you sleep in?
1: Um, no, no. <laughs> if only. Uh, I, I used to get up at five o'clock pretty consistently. Uh, and I did this for many, many years. This is the bedrock of what made my career and, and made me all money. And I sold a million books and, you know, worked as a software engineer. Now I'm a dad. So that's that <laughs> kind of a grenade into the whole system. But I, I get up at like 3.30 in the morning now. Like whenever I wake up, I just start working. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and, and it comes from a book by Brian Tracy called Eat That Frog, the idea mm-hmm. being you do the most difficult thing that you need to do right away, and then you know for the rest of the day you've got it done. So if I go at it before the rest of the world is, is awake, and I write my 5,000 words, and I get you know, my plotting done, and I work on some ads, by the time people are waking up around 8 o'clock, if I do nothing else for that day, I know for sure that all the important stuff got taken care of. So the habit is prioritizing the writing. Um, and what I do is right before I go to bed, I think about the scenes that I'm going to write. So it's just like I'm a little kid sitting in a sandbox playing with G.I. Joe's. I'm I'm plotting out exactly what I'm going to do the next day. I'm playing the movie projector in my head. And then when you wake up, I'm ready to go and write it. I sit down and I just start cranking out those scenes.
0: No, that's fantastic. So it sounds like being a dad is a little bit of destruction in your life, but that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but I uh, absolutely <laughs> it did. It did. It did really erode my ability to predictably write, and I've seen an impact on my professional life as a result.
0: Mm -hmm. And I I saw a video of you um, talking about outlines. You talk about um, Dan Harmon's, how he outlines. Do you still follow
1: that? I do um, pretty closely. I think he has come the closest to taking a look at what Joseph Campbell had to say about the power of myth and codifying that into story format. Earlier, we mentioned that you know you, you, you really want um, all human people, we're, we're craving character development. We're, character, we're craving development in in the stories that we read, and myth is how that is accomplished. And Dan Harmon has codified a way for you to write a story where you take a character at the beginning, and by the end, they've kind of gone through this mythological journey, this hero's journey, that works so well in, in the genre fiction that I write. If you write fantasy, if you write science fiction, it's such a useful tool. There Mm -hmm. are other story forms, but commercial fiction, it's almost all character growth. And the hero's journey works great.
0: Right. When did you start doing that? Because weren't you doing something before?
1: Right. I was using the three-act structure. So if you look back to the very beginning of my YouTube channel, when I first started writing, Mm -hmm. um, I was just using a three-act structure because that was all I knew. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, um, all story forms are similar in certain ways. So a lot of what I learned is still very applicable. Um, But it gelled much more for me and became... I don't know, wedding between plot and character. So the problem with the three-act structure, the reason I, I stopped using it in favor of Dan Harmon's story circle is you've got your plot and then you have your character arcs. And these are two separate things in that model. Whereas with Dan Harmon's story circle, character development and plot are the same thing. There's no difference. And I think that speaks much more highly to readers than having a great plot with weak characters. That's not really possible if you weld the two together and the plot requires great characters, if that makes sense. How much do you plot out before you begin writing? A lot, a lot. So the vast majority of that is world building where I just need to understand all the players, where they live, what powers and abilities they have, uh, modes of travel. Because once you understand the complete picture of the world, it's it's very easy to write the plot. You just think logically what characters would do and how the other characters would react to their actions. Mm-hmm. Um, so the vast majority of the work ahead of time, I mean, it's kind of plotting, but a lot of it is world building and and, and sort of laying down track for, okay, this is exactly what abilities uh, Zal's going to get in this book and how they'll impact, you know, the plot going forward.
0: So you're just stepping into the epic fantasy market with Shattered Gods. Now, I was, I was doing some research on it, and it's set in the Magitech world. Is that in the setting? Yeah, it is. It's very tightly
1: coupled with the Magitech Chronicles.
0: How much additional world building
1: did you have to do to, for that one? About uh, three and a half decades. <laughs> <laughs> so Shatter Gods was conceived of um, when I was like a little kid and I uh-huh. started playing D&D heavily when I was 10 years old and this is a setting that I use year after year after year but when I finally started publishing professionally I realized I'm not good enough to write epic fantasy and every friend I have is writing a fantasy epic all of them and there were all these writer friends that I had and none of us were ever going to finish them and so I said to myself what if I wrote something else? And so I started writing other books and other genres to practice. And now I'm coming back to Shattered Gods. And so I have tons and tons and tons and tons of world building. I've run decades of campaigns. You know, I, I know centuries of history in different parts of this world. And it, it makes the writing of it a lot more fun.
0: This was the original goal, really, from what it sounds like. Yeah,
1: very much so. This is I, I call it my magnum opus. I don't know if that's true, but um, <laughs> this was always what I wanted to get to. And I just never felt good enough to write it.
0: Oh, back in the beginning, like what authors inspired you? Like you, what, what did you read or watch that you're like, I want to do this?
1: Robert Jordan um, was the big one in high school because he took it to the next level. I had read Lord of the Rings and thought it was amazing. I had read Tad Williams with Memory, Sorrow and Thorn. I'd read lots of good series, but Robert Jordan upped the game to this is going to be like a 10 book cycle. And no one had really done that before mm-hmm. uh, in that way. Um, I started reading George R. R. Martin. Um, Gosh, uh, the old Dragonlance novels, Forgotten Realms novels, uh, I did some science fiction, Dune, Frank Herbert, all of these things, anytime I encountered a tale that, you know, sort of transcended everything for me and took me away from this world, I was like, I want to be able to do that. Um, So yeah, I think those were were probably some of my more more inspirational uh, sources.
0: That sounds like we're on the same journey, because those are all the same. People that I read in high school and growing up, and um, they they really did change a lot of people's lives, I think, and just fantasy in general, just the way what people could do. I mean, we wouldn't have Brandon Sanderson without some of those guys, and Brandon's kind of like the face of fantasy in, in these modern times. Speaking of Brandon, you did a, a video called Make Your um, Idols Your Rivals, and you mentioned <laughs> Brandon in that. Uh huh. I actually watched that video, I think it's brilliant. Um, you've mentioned uh, Brian Tracy Eat That Frog, and, and it sounds like you've read you know, other self-development and self-improvement books. But like, it's, it's fantastic advice that you can give because it's, it's not, it's a mindset. It's, you are going to be not only with, or you're not going to be in the same market, but you're going to be with those guys. You, you have to, to have that mindset in order to be successful.
1: And it's hard because we're taught our entire lives to know that's not possible. So as kids, we're told you could be whatever you want. But as soon as you turn 18, nothing's possible. Get a boring job and sacrifice all your dreams. And you're not allowed to play or to ever think that you could be at that level. And that's considered arrogant you know mm-hmm. whereas uh, tony robbins is a great story you know when you're kids you'll you'll pretend anything yeah you, you get a swimming pool and i get two swimming pools and you know anything is possible but then as an adult we take it all away and and i just realized what if it is possible you know what yeah. if you can dream big and do it and i've seen people like break out every year since 2014 who thought they could never do it and are still sort of starstruck that they're standing next to their idols
0: i don't know if you ever watch mma but Don mcgregor on one of his first fights he's after he, after he won, he says, I'm not here to take part. I'm here to take over. Mm -hmm. And I loved that quote. And it's very similar to yours because it's a totally different mindset. Like I'm not going to write and I hope somebody buys my books. Like I'm going to stand out and I'm going to be part of this market and people are going to know who I am. Also going back to what you said, like as an adult, you're, you're kind of taught not to toot your own horn. You know, the, the tallest snail gets hit first, but Mm -hmm. as a self-published author, that's what you want. Like you have to be known. It's not like somebody else is going to do this for you. You have to do it yourself.
1: Yeah. And and honestly, it, it makes you cocky. You have to be cocky. You have to believe <laughs> in yourself. And 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 yeah, it sounds bad. Um, ambition is not something that is is uh, valued as much in our society anymore. But if you want to be successful at that level, that's what it takes. And it, it comes in fits and starts. I, I don't know how many people watching this know, but I met Brandon Sanderson uh, many years ago before becoming famous. So when he was picked to um, finished The Wheel of Time. The first book was called The Gathering Storm. He did a book signing tour, and I ended up working that book signing tour. I sat with him. I sat with Harriet, um, Robert Jordan's wife, and the editor of Ender's Game. She discovered Orson Scott Card. So I was shadowing famous people and getting to meet them and seeing, oh, they're just like us. They're just geeks like us. They play the same games like us. They're just like us. And if they're just like us, why can't we do the same things?
0: No, I agree. Out of all the genres, what what was it about speculative fiction that you wanted to write in? why why choose that genre?
1: When I was a little kid, uh, I had a very turbulent childhood. Um, My parents got divorced. My mom, you know, I put this in air quotes, kidnapped me. Um, You know, we were on the run from the law for a year. We changed our names, but my life was really chaotic. And so the only, um, I don't know, sense of order I found was in reading these books. You know, these people had control over their own lives. And so I would discover these awesome fantasy books and it made me feel like I don't know. I had a home. I had a home in Crin and I had a home in Narnia, and I had a home in Middle Earth, and I really loved that, and so I stuck with it, and, and it's just, I stuck with fantasy since a very early age, and I only expanded into science fiction because I ran out of fantasy to read, and, and you know, once I got into sci-fi, I realized it was just as good as, as fantasy, but it took me a lot of years to make that jump.
0: I don't think I did
1: it until high school.
0: You remember what the, like, the first Fantasy book you read was
1: the very first fantasy book i picked out and read was the choose your own adventures um box set so the books had a white cover um it, i want to say it was like the caverns of time gosh i can't remember much about the plot of the book that was the very first one i picked up i had a little box set it was the first five choose your own adventure books and oh, they were nice. all fantasy based mm-hmm. uh, after that i remember a lot more of them i got into dragon pretty quickly and i read like 30 of them
0: <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> no those are fantastic um Tracy Hickman, Margaret wise they, they they did a great job. And no, I kind of same journey. My very first one was Lord a- Lloyd Alexander, um the Black Cauldron series. The the Book of Three was the first one, I believe. Mm-hmm. But but after that, it was I think after that it was like the Princess Bride and Sorcerer and and all that. Mm-hmm. So I've talked to a lot of authors now, and a lot of them picked up the exact same books and and read them, like the same books that drew them into fantasy. That's uh, it, it happened to a lot a lot of a lot of like john carter a lot doing a lot of dragon lance and they all
1: have the same hero's journey yeah all have exactly the same like you look at the existent pig keeper you know terran right from the very beginning he has no responsibilities and you know by the end of it he's the high king
0: <laughs> yeah no it's it, it it is it's exactly the same plot but you know if you do it right it doesn't get old
1: mm-hmm. it's about it's execution just... and and we'll always want to read it again in a different form i think
0: yeah Exactly. I mean, even, well, that's what Star Wars did, you know, it was Luke, a moisture farmer, and then he's a, a master Jedi, mm-hmm. one of the most important people in the world or in the galaxy. So you, um, you just designed a, an RPG, a role-playing game set in the Magitech Chronicles. What were some of the challenges with that?
1: Numerous, um, making a role playing game is really hard and really expensive and and I'm talking um, five figures expensive like it was 50 or 60 grand by the time I was done. Um, that was the first mistake. I could have done it way cheaper. I could have done it for like 10 or 15 grand if I had known going in exactly what I was doing. Um, I didn't, I made a lot of very expensive mistakes. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know that I would change it because I learned a lot and I got a lot of extra artwork that was useful for other things. Uh, systems are difficult to build and build well. The hardest thing that I learned was you have to be flexible and open to change. And that takes a lot of help. So Mm -hmm. you can't build a good role-playing system in a vacuum by yourself and then just publish it. And I've seen lots of of people do that. Uh, There are lots of role-playing games out there where you sit down and you play this and it's obvious to me that nobody play tested it. Mm -hmm. Um, I took the current version of the Magic Tech Chronicles through two years of rigorous playtesting where I knew I could publish it and, and wanted to publish it, but I just felt like it wasn't ready and I'm glad I put that time in. So maybe the biggest lesson was give it enough time for it to really flower and don't force it because
0: RPGs are hard. <laughs> Actually good advice because you think when you're playing something, and this is with anything, like a lot, there's tons of people that read a book and be like, "I can do that," and they try and they, they realize how hard it is. You know, with RPGs, it's a it's a totally different beast. Uh, it's you know, character development and all the things that they, they can grow because if you can't grow, like, like we've talked about, like if they don't grow, it's it's not fun. Um, the monsters have to grow with it. Um, the world has to be engaging enough. Just because you you, you play something like, "Oh yeah, I can do something like this." doesn't mean that you can. That that was me (laughs) for like 20 years. But like you did it eventually.
1: (laughs) Uh, What changed was becoming a software engineer. So prior to being a software engineer, I said, oh, I want to be a game designer and I want to design games. And I would come up with some ideas, but I had no idea how much work or the scope of a project was involved. And then I became a software engineer for like six years. And after six years of running complex code bases by myself with no help and, and designing all these crazy features, I understood what it took to do that sort of massive project development. And then when I sat down to do a role playing game, I don't want to say it was easy, but it was manageable.
0: Mm. Not a lot of people have that sort of experience though. So that that was a big um, blessing for you for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a great intersection of my skills. Mm -hmm. Very lucky. Yeah. So what are some tips that you can give to brand new authors?
1: Um, Don't take it too seriously. You know, this would be probably the first thing because it it it's so easy to get tied up in. You'll start with my book because the first write book you write, whatever it is, it's always my book, um, and, and it's the only book. I've got thirty seven novels out now, and I know people with over a hundred novels out. If you keep doing this for as a career, no matter how important the current project feels, it's not. It's just a step um, on your career. You are not the writing. The benefit of your current project of the book that you're working on is that it will make you a better author and the next book will be even better. So um, give yourself permission to suck, to be you know, not as good as you could be. Finish the story, put it out there, learn something from it and do the next one.
0: How are you able to detach yourself from that? Because I know, I mean, just speaking from experience, you write a book and you're like, oh, this is my baby. Like, and you give it to some people and they're like, this is horrible. How do you detect and, and not take it so emotional? You can't. I mean, I'll hear people say people say all
1: sorts of advice like, "Oh, you can do this or you can do that." I don't think you can. I think that that you even today, famous authors get their knees chopped out from under them all the time. Where it's like, I worked so hard on this project, and even though I have all these big successes, you know, nobody likes this one. And and what leaps to mind for me is Jim Butcher's um, The Aeronauts Windlass. Have you read that? I have not. So Jim Butcher, everybody knows him for The Dresden Files or maybe for Codex Alera.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but he came out with one book and it might be the best book I've ever read, period, in any genre. Like it is amazing. And it's this mix of epic fantasy and steampunk. There are these spires and nobody knows what's beneath them because there's this fog that sort of blocks out the planet and they fly between them with airships. But he captured um, the very much the HMS, like the Royal Navy feel That whole setting, and it was so well done, but it wasn't well received. And this book came out in like 2014, 2015. There's never been a sequel. I think um, I don't know if he's given up on it entirely, but I think he abandoned and walked away because even though the book was amazing, it didn't get the reception he was hoping for. So even big authors, I think, can can be crushed in the same way a brand new author can be. And and maybe as a new author, it helps to hear that you know your heroes are suffering in the trenches (laughs) like you are.
0: No, I can um, definitely motivate somebody to, you know, stick with it. You know, you wrote right to market. Do you think that if Jim Butcher, and and I don't know, this is pure speculative, if he would have maybe done it under a different name, um, you know, like a pen name or something, it might have done success, been a little bit more successful because everybody knows Jim Butcher and they have this idea of like, you know, this urban fantasy or this um, epic fantasy that has pokemons and stuff in it
1: i don't i don't from a writing to market perspective there was no market for the setting um and that was the problem so there wasn't a lot of people who were like boy i'm really hoping that somebody comes out with this great amazing setting and because that didn't exist um he wasn't able to to hard sell it so at the time everybody was moving into lit rpg and lit rpg was blowing up and so that was capturing all the market share Mm -hmm. so i feel like It was just released at the right, the wrong time. And there wasn't a lot of market demand for it. Um, I don't think he made any direct mistakes because, you know, in indie publishing, I can decide to release a book whenever I want to, but in TradPub, he probably needed several years of lead time. He couldn't predict what the market would even be like. Right. So it's just a case of bad timing for that particular novel. That's, that's would be my thinking. Yeah. The rest of it was good. The artwork was good. The cover was good. The title was good.
0: That's too bad. And that's something that, that, well, it's not just in, in writing it's, with movies and and everything else, like there is a lot of lead time, and sometimes things flop that would have been successful a few years before. Mm-hmm. So, what are some of the things that you didn't expect? Some challenges about becoming an author?
1: It's total isolation. So, your whole life, you you typically live with a standard job. Most people I know have a standard job. I go to this place that I work, and they give me a paycheck and you see other people, all of that's gone when you're an author. And so you always have the pressure of, I've got to make more money. There's no traditional paycheck. So you're always worried about sales and tracking that stuff and running ads. So you work kind of 24 hours a day. Like if I'm awake, I'm probably working unless I'm with my family. And even then it's usually intruding in some way. Um, There's pre-order deadlines hanging over your head and there's a million and five things you have to do as an indie author sustaining that for a long period of time is really hard. And uh, a friend of mine, um, Kevin McLaughlin, recently made a post in a Facebook group that I'm a part of. uh, And he said, you know, he started back in 2011, even before I did. So he was celebrating his 10 year. And he remembered in his first year, he was in an anthology. And out of the 13 people in that box set, 11 of them are gone now. Doesn't know what happened to them. They just dropped out. It's hard to do this long-term. And there are costs that I would never have guessed at. It gets harder and harder, I think, to sustain and to write good stories and to maintain your love of this. So if you are at a stage where you're doing it as a hobby, don't necessarily be in a hurry to make it your full-time career. It can be amazing, and if you hate your job, it's a great way out of it. But you know, there's a cost to it. There definitely is.
0: I know in an earlier video that you put out, you talked about um, being part of a mastermind. Mm -hmm. Does that help with the isolation? Are you still part of that?
1: I'm not currently, and I need to start one badly. masterminds come and go they tend to last about a year or two because I I think that everybody moves away from where they were at when it started and so they they have different needs they need new masterminds I still talk to the individual people um but it was really beneficial to have to get together once a month and explain to four other people that are at my level professionally what I'm working on and whether it's working or not
0: yeah I'm assuming that probably helped with the isolation too um no getting feedback in any form is is beneficial being self-published, you're responsible for everything. You know the cover artwork, the you know the editing. How did you go about finding a a cover artist, or or do you have any tips the, or tricks that somebody could find help find a a good cover artist? Because there's lots of people out there that say, "Yeah, I can draw, or I can." I, can I do, draw. and it
1: works perfectly today. Even though I, I first started doing this 10 years ago, It still works perfectly, exactly the same way today. Um, there are a few new sites, but what you're doing is you're going to sites like DeviantArt.com. Um, and start looking for other arts, art sites. If you're just searching for art on Google, you'll find more similar sites to deviantart.com and this is where most artists put their portfolio. So what you do is they have a search engine on deviantart. I'll search for the exact type of art that I'm looking for. So if I'm writing about giant mecca or kaiju, then I'll search for that. And you'll find people who've done artwork and you just start browsing their, their profiles until you find somebody who can do something really good. And you look to see if they take commissions and if they do you send them an email and you say listen i'm an author i need a cover for my book um this is the budget that i'm working with or you know may, ask them maybe how much they're going to charge for it and go from there and my first cover was for no such thing as werewolves i paid 300 for it um, the guy nikolai ostertag was in germany uh, still is and Today, I think he charges like $2,000 a piece for his, his artwork. But back then, he'd never been discovered. I'd never written a book. So the two of us worked together. I gave him some money. He got you know, uh, both some cash out of it and some exposure. Uh, the book took off. So you're gonna wanna do the same thing. Find an artist who's kind of hungry and getting started and you know, is within your budget and work with them and go from there. Um, lastly, about covers, I would say this typography and artwork are two totally different things. Don't assume that your artist can do typography. In fact, assume the opposite. They're probably really bad at it. Um, (laughs) I recommend that authors find somebody different to do the typography or that part they get good at themselves because that one has hard and fast rules you can understand. My Uh wife does all the typography for my novels um, and I think they're phenomenal.
0: What about finding an editor? This is
1: super challenging. So the first question is, do you have any money? And and the answer for a lot of authors is no, no, they don't have the money. Yeah. Um, I paid $3,000 to my writing coach for the, the first round of editing It went through my book. And she taught me a lot about writing. But if you can't afford to do that, you've got to sort of um, jumpstart it another way. And oftentimes what I recommend is try to find some beta readers because beta readers can do a lot of your editing for you. And if they love a story, some of them will do it for free. Um, and you can just thank them in the credits and then everybody is happy with the arrangement. So do whatever it takes to get your stories out. And then once you get some money, find an editor you can pay. I can't give specifics on, on given editors because they're going to vary from genre to genre. You want an editor who edits other military science fiction, if you write military science fiction or epic fantasy or romance or whatever genre you write, not just a general editor.
0: You want somebody who's familiar with what you're trying to do.
1: Exactly. Like I want somebody who's read Brandon Sanderson, who's read the you know Wheel of Time, who's read uh, Lord of the Rings, and and so would know those things. And so when they're reading my book, would would read it the same way my target reader is reading it.
0: Mm-hmm. So those are
1: there are two aspects
0: that sometimes people who, who want to become an author don't, especially indie author, don't don't think about. Another thing that you might not think about, and you've written a book about this, is marketing um, for authors. How has marketing changed in the uh, time that you've been an author? Well, Now your audience can literally talk to you. So
1: it's really about the tribe that you're building. That's almost 100% of your your marketing efforts are going because you want it to almost be a movement whenever one of your new books comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, so your whole goal is is to, to sort of interact and be a personality with that audience. And, and I spend so much more time in my Facebook group and sending emails than I ever did in the beginning. In the beginning there was this sort of barrier between me and the audience and that's entirely gone
0: now. No, I was just um reading a book by uh Grant Cardone, 10 the 10x rule. I don't know if you've ever read or heard of it or anything. But he talks about being um omnipresent. Like you just have to be known everywhere. Like when they think of something they think of you. And it sounds like that's kind of what um marketing is kind of transitioned to. Like you need to just be constantly putting yourself out there so that Like you said, when a book comes out, it is a movement, like thousands of people pick it up or millions of people pick it up and and buy it and read it. But that's terrifying to most people. So I want to give them hope.
1: Um, I backed off from that. So it is I very I very consciously stay out of the, the public eye. I don't try to be famous or to catch anybody's attention. I want to be rich, not famous. Um, and I think that's true for most household name in order to make great money doing this. What you need to do is create a reliable experience and give people a way to find it. And then your community will sort of swell from there. So I've sold over a million books and, and most people have no idea who I am as an author. And I can think of dozens of authors who sold over a million books and no one's ever heard of any of them. Like if you go to your average cocktail party, you know Brandon Sanderson. I have no idea how many millions of books he sold, 20, 50, 100, who knows. But like to get to that level, you have sold so many books and become so huge and if that's terrifying to you you don't have to be that to live your dream
0: no you don't that's something like when i talk i sometimes talk about you know i want to take over not take part or, or be an omnipresent on me like i talk big grander things but uh, as authors as for me as fantasy lovers a lot of times um we are introverts i'm a i'm a big introvert like this is uncomfortable for me to reach you know this is very outside my comfort zone but at the same time like you, I want to be rich for me. Like I'm, I'm trying to, to grow, um, you know, a following so that when my books come out, cause I ha- I don't have anything yet that they can launch successfully that they can entertain people and hopefully, you know, make a little money off of it. Let's, let's kind of transition, um, into your, your, your how-tos, your, you know, your 5,000 words per hour mm-hmm. and, and, and stuff like that. So with that, Say I'm, I'm a brand new author. If I take your, your eight books, nine books, however many books there are, and follow them, um, and this is kind of putting you on the spot, how confident um, are you that I would be a successful author? This is kind of if a plug you ex- for your books.
1: If you execute them well, 100%. I can tell you, like, literally dozens of people I've watched go from have never published a book to I now make six figures and this is my job doing it. But the vast majority of people also fail because they don't execute well. Um, they look at it like it's a checklist of the, okay, I've got to have a book and then I got to have a cover. And, and that's not the way it works. You, you have to think of it more like it's a symphony. And mm-hmm. so every wrong note you have is gonna kind of hurt the ear of your listener. If you have enough wrong notes, no one wants to listen to you. So it takes so much time and attention and practice. Um, that's the part that I think a lot of people don't realize. If you If you read the books, you could read all seven books in probably one day if you started in the morning. Um, Is that going to do anything for you at all? No, you'd actually need to do the exercises at the end of every chapter in every one of those books and if you did all the exercises, I think that would pave the road for you pretty well to get started. Um, From there, find people that can help you and those are actually some of the exercises go out locate people that can give you the resources you need, Uh, but you need to have like sort of a team early on of people that are pulling for you it's hard to do this mentally, it's hard to learn everything you need. So when you're part of a small collective of authors that are kind of fighting the same fight as you, you pull your resources and, and everybody's doing better and you're much more likely to come out ahead. Uh, and it's so much easier to do that than when I started. There's sites like Story Origins where you can get involved in a giveaway where you, you walk out of it with some new readers. And ideally, you've met some other authors in your genre that have become friends and they're just going to teach you stuff. So we're not in this alone. You don't got to go out alone. You know, Find people that can help you. And, and it's amazing how quickly you can catapult forward.
0: With that, if somebody started a you know, 5,000 words an hour and and work through that. And I I don't know if there's any scientific data or if you, how quickly could somebody be successful as a, as an author? I, I try. This is going to be different from from everybody.
1: Well, I try to steer away from this question because there's a whole group of people out there that are looking for a, the shortest answer they can get, like three weeks. Right. And, and they're going to go through it, and they're going to do it terribly and be awful at it because they in their head now have fixated on that number. But I've seen somebody go from I've never published a book to I'm making uh, five figures a month in four months. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's, so they were a technical writer. They already had some experience, but they had never done any fiction at all. And what they said they did is they read 5,000 words per hour to get them writing. Um, they read Write to Market to find their genre. And then they read um, Plot Gardening to learn how to plot it. And that was all it took.
0: Oh, that's amazing. And and granted, these results are not standard. They're not going to be for everybody. But the fact that somebody did that, that thats especially for you, I would feel that that's pretty encouraging. That means that you did something right.
1: The first time I saw somebody make more money than I did using my techniques, I was like, okay, I'm on to something. <laughs> <laughs> is that a little discouraging too? No, no, not at Good. all. Um, I'm I'm very different than a lot of people. I de- Like I said, I don't want to be famous. And so my whole goal is to pay it forward and give this information back. I grew up like you. I was a little geek. I just want people to be able to live their dreams. I want you to be able to be a writer. If you want to be an author and tell these amazing stories, I want to get the resources to do that into your hands as inexpensively as possible. Because for me growing up, there was a, a walled garden and you couldn't get into it. And then now that's gone. If you want to be an author, you really can do this. And 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 it's the first time in history that's true.
0: Being an indie publisher has really opened the doors to a lot of people. People who, you know, might not be able to do anything else, you know, or live, you know especially in COVID times, uh, the times that mm-hmm. we're living in right now um, in 2021, they might have lost their job, but they are able to, do something or have an opportunity to do something that can provide for themselves, provide for their families. And we wouldn't be able to do this 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. We tried. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you have any advice for new authors? Yes. Um,
1: commit to doing one thing every single day that is going to improve your writing and, and get you better. And if marketing is what you're focusing on, one one thing that's going to get your marketing better. And you will be amazed where you're at in a year. So Between now and 12 months from now, if you take 365 actions, one action a day, your career will look entirely
0: different than it does right now, I guarantee it. That's great advice. 1% better every day. Mm -hmm. But one action to, to get you better. So how can people reach out and find you?
1: Um, ChrisFoxWrites.com is my website. Most of my resources are there. Uh, YouTube.com slash ChrisFox is where all the videos are. So if you need resources to learn how to write or market, it's all there. It's all free. Um, Yeah.
0: In these times, it's kind of tough. But um, are you going to get any conventions or any conferences in the next, let's let's just say 60 months, till the end of next year? I am. And this
1: may actually be the only one that I do going forward. Uh, I will be at 20 books to 50K in Las Vegas. That might be the only conference I do outside of California going forward. Uh, just given how crazy things are and the fact that I have a young son, um, you know, that may change someday, but, but it's looking like West coast only. I've, I've flown all over the country for years now. I'm so tired.
0: No, that's a fantastic one. Uh, there's going to be lots of options there. I'm hoping to get there. So look forward to that one. Hopefully I get to meet you. Yeah. It'd be great. i um, walk up and, and shake my hand. I'd love to meet you. You know, buy a drink. Sounds good. Well, I appreciate the, you taking the time out. Um, to visit with me and, and I learned a lot today. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Troy podcast. Please subscribe like and share with your friends.